Hi, and welcome to the Delta Dialogue. In this podcast, we talk about open data, open medical data, and AI from above and beyond and explore its implications to our world. In this episode of the Delta Dialogue, we will discuss AI and hospitality. I'm your host, Emir Mustafa. I'm joined today by my co-host and commentator, David Wood, and our guest speaker, Sanjeev Shetty. He is a thought leader in the aging services and hospitality industries and co-founder of Robotics as a service company, HelloGuard Robotics. Before this, he was president and CEO at Integrated Platform as a Service Company, DBSync. Sanjeev's position and passion in robotics and artificial intelligence. Well, beyond hospitality and healthcare, um, do you see potential applications for AI and robotics in the, for example, the education sector to enhance safety and efficiency? Yes, I do. Uh, you know, AI and robotics can really be used in any vertical. Um, <laughs> It's just a matter of finding those use cases. So I think, you know, in the educational sector, there's obviously the safety concern, uh, as well as the educational side of things where, you know, um, we work with several organizations that are looking at our robots as part of a STEM educational process where, uh, you know, they're introducing robotics and AI as a course uh, for students. Uh, I think you all saw the news about uh, you know, Elon Musk recently uh, infusing some money to open up a STEM school, uh, you know, right from elementary all the way to university level where science and technology is the focus. Uh, so, you know, I do think that, uh, you know, robotics and AI could be a, uh, you know, uh, something that people concentrate on and, uh, you know, uh, learn and uh, can benefit any curriculum. Um, but also on the safety side, I do think that, you know, especially AI uh, can really help make schools more secure, um, any setting more secure, but uh, certainly schools where, you know, we've seen a lot of different mass uh, casualties in the last few years with the shootings. So there's a use case there as well. Is that detecting intrusion? Is that the kind of safety angle? Detecting intrusion, detecting certain uh, uh, individuals who should not be near the school, uh, detecting any, um, you know, unusual activity, um, you know, locking doors automatically. There's all kinds of use cases there. Okay. And, um, I mean, we talked about data integration and the importance of data just now. And then that one thing that I would want to ask is how would you measure the success of data integration initiatives in healthcare and what benchmarks should organizations aim for? You know, it all boils down to KPIs, uh, key performance indicators. So when you put together a data integration project, let's say it's onboarding automation, where you want to onboard a patient or a resident quicker, you know, maybe the KPI is, you know, you go from seven days of onboarding to a couple of hours, right? Uh, that would be a key metric that you would measure onboarding by. Uh, there could be another measure where, you know, it's, um, you know, communication to family members uh, of what's going on when there is an incident, right? Uh, most people want to know uh, immediately, right? They don't want to wait days to find out something happened. Uh, so when there's a fall, for instance, you know, um, how soon do the, uh, the staff members and the family members get notified? Um, so I think it all boils down to, uh, you know, what it is you're trying to solve and then what uh, how do you measure that from a KPI perspective? 
um, unless you can measure it, you know, we really don't know if, uh, if it uh, is actually solving the issue. Beyond the U.S., I mean, I know you're um, based in the U.S., but beyond the U.S., are there uh, global trends you've observed in the adoption of uh, service robotics, particularly in the hospitality and healthcare industries? Yeah, I find that in the uh, APAC region, you know, in East Asia, there's a lot of um, a lot of adoption of robotics, especially in the uh, service industry, uh, more so than in uh, North America. Uh, you know, so uh, you know, I I think it's just a matter of time. I think uh, you know, in uh, places like China or Hong Kong or Japan, uh, I think robotics have become quite common. Um, and you'll see them everywhere in the service industry, uh, more so than in the U.S. Uh, I think the U.S. is a little bit slower to adopt it, but uh, I think it's just a matter of time before uh, you know you see more widespread adoption of robotics in different settings. What's the difference for that? What's the reason behind that difference? And some people have said that these East Asian cultures tend to regard robots in a positive light, whereas our stories tend to depict robots as troublesome or is it the power of trade unions perhaps that unions are resisting some of these changes in some western countries but less strong in other cultures do you have a view on the causes yeah i think it's a combination of factors i can't put my finger on one factor it may be the labor unions i think it's also uh, people scared about adopting new technologies uh, and uh you know, the privacy factor is huge. Um, I think the cost factor is also there. Um, I think in some of these regions, you know, uh, HIPAA, for example, is not an issue, right? So that takes away a lot of the friction right there. Um, and this goes for technology in general, right? People uh, like to try out, you know, yesterday I was at an airport, um, you know, going through the clear line, which is, uh, you know, the way that uh, you know, you can go in and uh, have to buy, you don't have, you can bypass some of the long security lines. And, you know, it took me just as long going through the clear line. And, you know, you go to the Middle East and you pretty much walk through this, uh, uh, you know, this, these sensors that uh, do your eye scanning and they check your biometrics and off you go, you know, <laughs> you're not waiting in line. So it's just, uh, I think it's just the adoption of technology is slower in the U.S., I find. Um I'm not sure what the exact reason is. I think it's probably a combination of things, but um, they tend to be, uh, you know, more uh, commonly used in some of the Middle Eastern and uh, Asian countries than in the U.S. At least that's what I found. You mentioned, you mentioned HIPAA. You said, well, some countries don't have HIPAA. Can I tempt you to offer an opinion on HIPAA? And I've heard people say, well, it's well-intentioned, but sometimes it's overly burdensome and there are surely cases when it, things ought to be allowed, but the people are afraid of getting large fines from HIPAA. So it leads them to suboptimal solutions. Well, it's HIPAA is a good example of uh, being well-intentioned and, uh, you know, to address privacy, but it, it also takes a toll on many organizations because uh, you do have to do uh, go through the certification and go through the audit process, and it's not cheap. You know, doing a HIPAA audit can cost you anywhere from 50 to 100 grand. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of companies that have sprouted uh, that do this for a living. But, uh, you know, it is a process you need to go through. And, um, 
you know, I, I think that there ought to be an easier way to get through that certification process that's not that uh, expensive. So, you know, I have mixed feelings about it, but I think it is well-intentioned. Well, in terms of this uh, robot usage in, 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 the, well, in the real world, I, I would say it would, would require people to be able to understand how to work these things and how to work around them. So how would you think, or how do you think uh, educational initiatives should evolve to actually prepare the workforce for the increasing integration of AI and robotics in various industries, really? I think there has to be, uh, you know, several different efforts at various levels. Uh, you know, I think there's obviously the educational piece where you introduce it, you know, into high schools, uh, you know, there's different clubs, even at the high school level, where you can introduce it to students. Uh, I think there's courses that people can take. Um, there's uh, different channels and blogs and uh, user groups out there where you can go and participate and learn more about robotics and AI. But it all starts with education. Um, and, and once you have, you know, the educational piece, then I think people tend to be more receptive to it. You know, AI is growing at such a fast pace that uh, it's, it's sometimes it feels hard uh, to keep up with all of the changes that are happening because it's literally changing by the minute. Um, so I, I do think that uh, having some sort of continuous education in place also is uh, beneficial. I see. And the, the well, one of the main topics uh, regarding this, this is, is ethical considerations, really, uh, especially with the growing influence of AI. Uh, what ethical con uh, considerations do you believe businesses uh, and policymakers alike should prioritize in, to ensure responsible and fair implementation? Yeah, I think this goes to the whole uh, conversation around having guardrails where you have uh, certain policies, you know, at the government level, uh, really starting there around uh, how AI should be deployed and where you kind of draw the line. Um, you know, if the line isn't drawn, <laughs> AI can have uh, negative consequences as well. Uh, so I think we don't, none of us want that. So I think it starts with having policies around, uh, you know, uh, using AI to your advantage, but also drawing the line as to where it doesn't cross over and become detrimental to, uh, to mankind. So I think that starts with policies, regulations, um, you know, and, and this is one of those things that has to be done proactively uh, because at, at the rapid pace at which AI is moving, um, especially with generative AI, it can do a lot uh, more than people think it can do. Um, and uh, it is going to change and transform the, our lives as we know it. Um, and uh, it'll be here before you know it. Right? <laughs> so it's already here. Uh, so I think we need to just get ahead of it and uh, have those uh, regulations and policies in place. And it starts with really at, at the very top of the, the government and then having those policies trickle down to the commercial sectors as well. So what are examples of the guardrails that you have in mind? So I think, you know, uh, without going into specifics, I think any time that uh, AI uh, crosses a boundary and can be detrimental to mankind and um, can make decisions for humans uh, where there isn't human input. I think that's when things can get a little, um, you know, sticky uh, in terms of having AI make decisions for us. I think, um, you know, I think that we need to look at 
sort of the use cases and make sure that, uh, you know, uh, there are humans involved in everything that happens with AI and uh, AI is not controlling us, <laughs> put it very, uh, you know, bluntly, right? Uh, we should be controlling what happens with AI. So the AI can make suggestions, but humans should be able to assess the suggestions and the AI should explain its suggestions as well. If the AI says, out of these patients, these ones are the priority. They need uh, quick attention. The other ones can wait. It shouldn't just be laying down its ideas in an inscrutable way. Hey, this one works out as 9.2. This one works out at 8.7. It's got to be able to say, here are the factors that's been considered so that a real human can say, actually, I realize there's a misunderstanding here and over sometimes override. Yeah, and I think there's a safety factor here too, especially when it comes to robotics. I don't know if you heard the story in South Korea where a, um, a robot uh, in a um, conveyor belt situation actually mistook a human for an item and, uh, you know, that human got crushed uh, as a result of it. So I think there needs to be guardrails in place, not just with AI, but even robotics and, um, you know, processes that, uh, uh, that are put in place for automation. Uh, so that humans are not hurt in the bargain. This is almost a literal guardrail to stop the humans getting too close or some other kind of a software guardrail. Exactly. Right. In today's day and age, when we use social media, when we browse the websites, personalization is, is pretty much key. And as well as with the development of AI right now, it's it's even more important i mean it's one of the reasons why it's there to help give us a more personalized experience in terms of the hospitality industry i mean how can businesses strike a balance between offering personalized services all the while respecting guest privacy could you give maybe another example yeah you know i think there has to be a, a delicate balance between personalization and technology and what i mean by that is you know um You've obviously experienced, uh, you know, the Amazon Echo and the Amazon Alexa, right? Uh, you're talking about uh, something and the next thing you know, it's being advertised on your phone and they're pushing it to you through your Amazon app or uh, even Facebook, right? So I think those situations have sort of taught us that, you know, there has to be a balance between personalization and privacy. Uh, and I think a lot of this boils down to uh, you as an individual consumer, what your needs are and uh, how you want to be treated. Um, and I think that needs to be uh, determined not by the companies driving personalization, it's by you as a consumer, as a customer, decide whether you want that level of personalization. And then there's personalization where, you know, uh, there's certain data gathered about you and your preferences. Uh, you know, let's say, uh, you know, you're a vegan, right? <laughs> And the hotel knows you're a vegan and that they respect that and they offer you vegan choices. I think that's that's acceptable. Right. Um, and then there's I think there's areas of personalization where it could cross a line that uh, many people don't like. So I think it just boils down to what your preferences are as a consumer. How these different stakeholders actually can uh, ensure a unified approach to um, patient health care and what or is uh, in in any case, a unified approach really necessary, or or would it be better to have that? Yeah, I think you know um, it really depends on your setting. It depends on uh, you know what your budgets are. Uh, 
you know, I think everyone wants a unified approach, but uh, <laughs> you don't always get what you want. Um, and but I think uh, when it comes down to healthcare, I think there are uh, other countries who have done a lot better than the U.S. has uh, in terms of healthcare in general. Um, and uh, but I think uh, you know there's a lot that we need to do uh, in the U.S. in terms of change within healthcare. Uh, you know, it starts with data and systems uh, to, uh, you know, outdated, uh, you know, technologies that have exist, existed for decades uh, that haven't changed. Uh, and I keep using nurse call as an example, you know, with the pool court system, um, you know, that hasn't changed in decades. So there's a lot that needs to change, um, you know, within healthcare for, for us to get to a unified approach. And I think we're far from that. Uh, healthcare is an industry that um, in a lot of ways hasn't changed, but I think with the advent of newer technologies, uh, IoT devices, uh, robotics, uh, I think uh, I think we'll be forced to change uh, because right now, if you look at the healthcare industry, you know, a third of our tax money is going towards, uh, you know, the cost of healthcare <laughs> and that's not sustainable, right? So we have to find ways to uh, bring that cost down and the only way to do that is through technology we have been talking about more positive sides of of this technology and and well what it'll bring us or how it can bring us better uh, patient care etc while discussing the the, per, the positive impacts uh, of ai in senior healthcare, what potential risks or concerns uh, should the industry be mindful uh, of as technology adoption increases. Yeah, I think anytime you introduce IoT devices, sensors, technology in general, I think you just open yourself up for um, to become more vulnerable, you know, from a, a standpoint of hacks and intrusion and folks trying to get into your systems and, you know, do bad things. And, uh, you know, the senior living industry is very trusting and vulnerable to that. So I think that uh, there needs to be an investment, a higher amount of investment in cybersecurity to ensure that you're safe. Um, you know, HIPAA concerns are being addressed. Uh, I think that uh, the technology has to be there to improve patient care and not just be there for the sake of, you know, adding more and more technology. And um, at the end of the day, you know, uh, you have to improve patient care um, and if technology does that, then um, I think there'll be adoption. Um, so I think it's just a matter of uh, finding the right fit uh, to show the outcomes in better patient care. Um, you know, and that, can, that goes back to my KPI discussion, right? You have to have KPIs in place to show that technology is moving the needle in those areas. Many people try to aspire to uh, join this industry or join uh, into the, 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 the sphere of AI and robotics, what would you uh, recommend them to do or, or, uh, or not to, to do uh, to, to start their journey or help them on their way? I think there's many things you can do. Uh, <clears throat> you know, the internet is a vast uh, wealth of information. Uh, you know, I would look into maybe taking some courses uh, online. Uh, there's a lot you can do online these days. Uh, you, of course, you can go uh, uh, take these courses uh, at a local, um, you know, uh, community college setting or even a college setting as well. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, 
colleges now are introducing AI and robotics. Um, I think that, uh, you know, attending shows and, uh, you know, uh, reading up on the new trends is also something you can do. Um, so there's many different avenues, uh, I think, uh, ranging from, you know, um, a very young age to, you know, if you're a professional, if you want to learn about AI and robotics, there's many different avenues uh, you can go to. And But since you're in the industry, do you know any uh, kind of like maybe position or, or a, a place where you lack talent or where you lack uh, or where what needs to be filled actually and where there's not much of uh, to to for, for our listeners to maybe have an idea, hey, maybe that's something for me? Yeah, I think the area of generative AI, because it's so new, I think that's an area where we're lacking skills. And uh, I think if we have, uh, you know, a talent pool with that skill set, I think it would definitely benefit us because we see ourselves primarily as a workforce automation company, like I said before, uh, that happens to be selling robots. Um, so I think in the generative AI space is where uh, I think people should be spending time because that is going to be driving a lot of the future of AI. And uh, I think that's definitely an area where we could use help too. Um, so uh, happy to, uh, you know, if, if there's listeners that have uh, skill sets in those areas or uh, want to learn more, we also have blogs on our website, hologuard.com. You can go under the blogs, read up on, uh, you know, some of the articles that have been written around AI and robotics uh, in the various industries we serve, specifically senior living. Um, and uh, those are some simple ways to get started. Well, I was especially struck by this statistic that a third of all the tax money in America goes on healthcare. And indeed that this statistic is increasing because I guess there are more elderly people who have more chronic diseases and also, by the way, there are more treatments available, so people keep asking for more of them. So I can see the role of technology, as you said, as reversing that trend. But is there a deeper role that technology may play, not just in delivering services more effectively, but in preventing some of the injuries in the first place? You mentioned falls. Some technology can detect when somebody's fallen over, but wouldn't it be better if people didn't fall in the first place? Then there was the cyber risks. You know, we want to know when people have been cheated, but even better is to stop people being cheated. So to what extent can your AI and robotic systems play what I would consider to be a, a more effective role fundamentally, which is preventing people from getting into these terrible situations in the first place? That is an excellent point, David. And, uh, you know, I think part of the cost that uh, the U.S. has to bear on healthcare is the lack of preventative healthcare measures and, and uh, processes in place. And let's just take falls, for instance. I've studied this uh, phenomenon for uh, many, many, many months and looked at all aspects of falls and technologies involved with falls. And you know, most of the fall uh, detection systems address after a fall has occurred, which is when it's too late. Once a fall has occurred, there's, you know, a cost to the individual that's fallen. Uh, they typically, you know, uh, degrade and go downhill from there if, it's, if they've broken a hip. The cost of the healthcare system is high. 
Um, and typically falls happen either in the bathroom or in the, in their bedroom. Um, you know, uh, when they happen outside of those two settings, uh, you know, those falls aren't typically detected. And typically the technologies that are out there, um, can detect a fall and then notify someone. So what we're doing is we're looking at falls prediction, uh, for instance, with vCare companion, how can we determine you're at a high risk of a fall before the fall occurs so that we can get you the help you need, whether it's therapeutic, whether it's rehab, whether it's uh, extra monitoring uh, to ensure that, uh, you know, the fall either A, doesn't occur or when it does occur that, uh, you know, someone is notified. I think that would be an example. You know, the same thing goes for brain health, right? We typically wait until someone has Alzheimer's or dementia before we take action and you know, the cost of healthcare is so high once that happens, right? How can we prevent Alzheimer's and dementia, for instance? So I'm working with, uh, you know, a group called Social Impact Partners. In fact, uh, the woman who runs that organization is on my board, and we're looking at ways that we can help uh, prevent those uh, brain-related, uh, you know, chronic conditions such as dementia and uh, Alzheimer's through the use of uh, technology, robotics, and AI. So I think that having those preventative measures in place is uh, is really key to uh, reducing the, the cost of healthcare um, in general. And I think you also brought up another point about the aging population. You know, in the U.S. alone, one in five individuals will be over 65 in the next decade. And uh, they're also the ones spending the most money, <laughs> the ones over 50. So they're driving the economy. So there's a huge push towards, uh, you know, uh, catering to the needs of these individuals. And um, also the dynamic of the work uh, environment is going to change with that many people over 65. You know, um, a lot of them want to continue to work. Uh, they are obviously very different from the Gen Y and the Gen Z and the millennials who uh, have different value systems. <laughs> so. I think uh, a lot has to be taken into account uh, when it comes to the workforce, healthcare, uh, preventative technologies, uh, and uh, yeah, and the like. You said something so interesting there that I've got to follow up. You talked about preventing mental decline. This is really the holy grail, and it's such an important subject because the people who are beyond 60 are increasingly vulnerable to mental problems, physical brain problems. So what, what can be done there? You know, I don't think there's a silver bullet, David. I think that it's a myriad of different things. Um, you know, I think it starts with diet. I think uh, exercise plays a key role. I think social interaction. You know, they did a study in uh, Sardinia where they uh, looked at people who lived in their late 90s and they uh, you know, studied as to why they lived into their late 90s without some of these brain health issues. And uh, they, what they came back with was, you know, the social interaction was really high in that, in that one part of Sardinia. So I think that many studies will need to be, uh, to be done to figure out, you know, where we can make the most impact to reduce some of the uh, mental and physical decline. Uh, I do think that the, uh, the economy of longevity is, is booming. Uh, everyone wants to live longer. And I don't think it's unusual for someone to live to 150 in the, in the next 10 years. 
I think, uh, you know, there will be some individual who live that long <laughs> with all the advances in the longevity space. Um, so, you know, I think there's, uh, I don't think, to answer your question directly, I don't think there's, you know, one solution. I think it, it's a combination of different things that play into sort of the mental decline that can be prevented at a very early age, by the way. You don't have to start in, in your 50s and 60s. It, it starts with, you know, in your 20s or 30s. The damage accumulates. And people, I believe, have detected that if you are on your way to being diabetic, you're also on your way to having mental problems too. And if you could change your lifestyle, your exercise, your diet in your 30s or 40s, you diminish the risks both of diabetes and heart disease and uh, mental problems. But there isn't so much money in that. I mean, pharmaceuticals aren't going to make lots of money by selling that kind of drug. So I think it may be outcome newcomers to the industry, people like yourself, who've got a different angle on things that can make this go faster. And I really wish you the best of luck in that. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Delta Dialogue. This episode is brought to you by the UN, a tech community focused on artificial intelligence in healthcare, machine learning, and related disciplines. I am Amir Mustafa, and see you next time.